different times in my life, I've asked the same question that you've asked. Does Jesus make a difference? And at different stages in my life, I have seen him make that difference. I saw when I was a student how he guided me and redirected me. I saw how when I was deciding on a career path and thinking about finances and and, uh, finding a wife, hopefully, and, and having a family and those huge decisions, I found he guided me at that stage as well. When it came to actually deciding on that career path, he redirected me. He closed doors. He opened doors. I'm here today as a result of him guiding me in that pathway. When I found this wonderful gal that I dated and finally married and have had 37 fantastic years with, every year, especially on our anniversary, I had to stop and say to myself, God, thank you for being there. Thank you for guiding me. Uh, I feel like I married two or three clicks up and just married this most wonderful person that he had designed. And to this day, I see God at work. I see him working in people around me, and I see him working in you. And you've probably been asking that question at different times. What difference does Jesus Christ make in your life? And today, we are going to talk about how clearly he shows us that he wants to do that, he's willing to do that for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your work in our lives. We don't always see it. I admit I don't always. Uh, But Heavenly Father, I know you're there. And Jesus, I know what you've done for us to reveal yourself to us and the way to knowing you clearly and the way of seeing you better. And I pray today that we would uh, plug in to you and that you would give us that clarity and we would have eyes to see and hearts that are wide open to you. In Jesus' name, amen. And so today we are going to see that Jesus is the clarity to connect with God. Last week we saw that Jesus was dealing with uh, the religious leaders, and religious leaders need God as well. Sometimes they need God more than other people. And the people that Jesus was dealing with brought to him this woman that was caught in the act of adultery which is kind of amazing in itself, how that happened. And I always wonder, where's the guy? He was caught in the act of adultery too. But they brought the woman to Jesus to test Jesus, to put him in a position where he was either going to have to contradict the Roman law by calling for her to be executed under Jewish law, or he was going to let her go free, which would have been a violation of Jewish law because she was caught in the act. And so the Pharisees were saying, you have to make a decision, Jesus. We want you to choose. And they were supporting the position of condemnation. Stoner to death. And Jesus said to them, uh, whoever is without sin, you cast the first stone. And the older, more knowledgeable ones, they were the first ones to walk away. They just walked away. And pretty soon... As Jesus was riding on the soil, remember what Bob talked about last week? That finally they were all gone, and he looked up at her, and where are your accusers? And she said, they've all gone. And now she's standing before the creator of the universe, Jesus Christ, the Son of Man in human flesh, and he says to her, go and sin no more. 
Today, we continue to see these religious leaders primarily arguing with Jesus, debating with Jesus, quizzing Jesus. It's obvious that their relationship with him is not a proactive one. They are antagonists in the story, in the history. And Jesus interacts with them, and their unresponsiveness to him shows us that not only will they not forgive the woman, but they won't receive forgiveness for themselves. How ironic. They are standing in front of the gracious God of the universe, offering a path for forgiveness of their sins, but they are attacking the source of it, Jesus Christ himself. And so let's look at two ways that this clarity is shown by Jesus. First, he gives clarity to follow him confidently. And your very first verse talks about that idea of following Jesus. And so the confidence of true change is that first verse. What confidence does he give you? Well, many of us have asked, will Jesus make a difference? Will he make a difference in my life? I hear about him doing that for other people, but will Jesus truly bring about significant, wonderful, good change in my life? Will he lead and will he guide me? And so Jesus gives us that confidence when he says, again, and Jesus has been speaking to him, he spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What a bodacious statement, unless it's true. I am the light of the world. Not he's the light of Jerusalem. Not he's the light of uh, Judea. Not he's the light of the Middle East. But Jesus makes this profound, bold statement. I am the light of the world. When I uh, hike, which I try to do often with my wife, my wife is an amazing hiker, I try to keep up with her, truly. She will hike during the day. She will hike during the night. And I remember she was planning this hike for us up the gorge, and she said, be sure and bring your headlamp. And I always bring my headlamp because she taught me how to hike. You always hike prepared. You know, you have your emergency stuff, all the extras. Yes, you have to carry the extra weight, but when you need it, you'll be glad you did. But I always carried the headlamp. And so we went up to this uh, lookout way up in the mountains, saw this beautiful sunset. And then she said, you realize we're not going to be able to get back to our vehicle in the light, so we need to put our headlamps on, and we get ready to hike in the dark. And I thought, what an adventure. And we did just that. We hiked in the dark for an hour and a half back to the vehicle. And every once in a while, I thought I heard something behind. So every once in a while, I got... I got looking around with my headlamp. I just wanted to let anything out there know that I, I was aware, right? You know, I'm, I'm ready, right? Sort of thing. And that light helped me to stay on the path. In the dark, I would, I actually turned it off at one point, and I did not like it because it was a dark night, and I could not have seen the path. It was not wide. It was not well marked in places. Uh, it would have easily been a problem situation. Light 
light helps us to see, especially at night or in that dark closet, in that dark place. Light helps us. And the metaphor Jesus is communicating to us is that he brings the illumination to our minds to be able to see things clearly and to experience life in the light of God's wisdom and understanding. He said, whoever follows me will not walk in the darkness. And that is an ethical, moral statement, isn't it? That in life, there's the dark side and there's the light side. Movies are made on these themes, are they not? It's understood by human beings that there's things that are good and there's things that are evil. In the darkness, and a lot of times people will even say, uh, evil is done under cover of darkness, right? But back in John earlier, he said that he who comes to the light will see clearly. And whoever follows Jesus will not walk in this darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, notice it says light of life, not life of light. The light is the life of Jesus Christ, his model and his message that clearly allows us to see life and to perceive life in a way that's accurate in the way that he wants us to be able to get it. This theme of light in the Old Testament was big time prominent. Clear back to the Exodus when the when the Jewish nation was coming out of Egypt, they had been in captivity. And in Exodus, it talks about how God provided two things for them in, that was specific. One would happen in the daylight, and the other would happen at night in the dark. And by day, he gave them this pillar of a cloud that would guide them along the path during the light of day. Well, when I read that, I thought, that's great. Then you go to bed, you sleep, you know, especially in cultures that don't have a lot of uh, uh, man-made light sources. And you go to bed and you get up with the light, just like a good farmer does, right? That's People know when it's light. And some of you get up when it turns light. I've been waking up early too. How many of you wake up when the sun comes up? That's been happening happening to me a lot lately. So what do you do at night? You go to sleep. And God said to the Israelites, he said, no, I'm going to give you a pillar of fire by night. And he said that both those things would happen together so that in a 24-hour period, they would never be without guidance. The cloud guiding them by day, and actually the pillar of fire by night was not just for light. It was for guiding them if they were to be traveling at night as well. That's what it says. And so what, does, what, what did the Israelites from the very beginning get profoundly put into their heads? First of all, the pillar by day and the pillar by night, God's with us 24-7. Do you think of God that way in your life, that he's with you 24-7? Secondly, both of these were for guiding them. Do you experience the guidance of God in your life? The Israelites did. They did it for years. 
And this constant 24-7 guidance system was in their lives to tell them that God was there with them. He's present. He's guiding them. And he's for them. And so this history of light was well known by every Jewish child because the Exodus story was the story that they all heard. They were all taught. They understood it. And they realized this is the basis of our faith. We know there's a God because our, our forefathers were guided by God 24-7 daily. We know God intervenes in this world and he guides us and he cares and he's present. And so when Jesus says that he is the light of the world, it reminds them of Yahweh, their God in the Old Testament. And that takes us places, folks, because he said that in him was life, and this life was the light of men. When John said this in chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, he was already highlighting for you that this life that's in Christ is the light that guides us. So his example and his words, his mission, his purposes, his methods, they guide us today. He makes a difference in our life. I read to you a story from one of our own that graciously uh, gave permission to share their story. They learned this lesson. In my dream, I woke up with a sense of fear as I was surrounded by darkness. And so in an effort to see, I reached for my phone as a light source. Only it was dim and didn't make it easier to see. And so I reached for the light switch, the lamps, the flashlight, It all provided only a dim and cold light in my eyes, and my eyes soon adjusted, leaving me in darkness once again. And then a light appeared in the crack of the door, a warm light, an inviting light. I reached for it, and when the door was open, the room was overcome with light, and I was no longer in fear. I realized that darkness couldn't take over the light. The light had taken over the darkness, and I could finally see. This was a turning point in my walk with the Lord. I was in, it was encouraging to me, and it taught me that Jesus is not a light among many lights. He is the light. And I went from knowing the Bible and Christian rules to, living, to live by to knowing Jesus and the power that he has. I knew that Jesus was with me and that he had made a way for me to be free and that he was inviting me to live in hope. Do you know Jesus as the light of your life, your world? Jesus also gave confidence to us based on his knowledge. And his knowledge is on a level that none of us can relate to yet. And we read about that next as Jesus deals with the religious leaders. So he said, So the Pharisee said to him, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. First thing I'd like to point out is they weren't questioning what they should have been questioning because their conclusion was is that he was a liar, that his testimony was false. It says they thought it was not true because he didn't have two witnesses talking on his behalf for him. So you can tell that already their attitude, their bias is coming through because their conclusion is stated right out front, it's not true. You're lying to us. 
Well, think about it. If you were God and you were not dwelling in the physical realm, but you were spirit and you were truth, as John said earlier, then how would you be able to reveal to human beings about what heaven is really like? You would have to bear witness, just like everyone in this audience would, if you had been in heaven, then you could testify what it was like. And because Jesus resided in heaven and he came to earth, we call it the incarnation, he could tell the Pharisees, he could tell everybody what heaven was like, but he was the only one capable of giving that testimony because none of of us can and none of them could back then. They hadn't been there yet. And so Jesus does this. He answers and says, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know. And so he's kind of drawing them out and saying, you don't know the answers to this, but I do, and I want to share them with you. And where I come from and where I am going. They don't know. And so he's, he's just begging them to ask the question. So tell us more. Where are you going? And why are you going there? And what's it like there? But no, they've already precluded the answer to all those questions by saying, Jesus, what you've said is not true. They weren't willing to trust him as the light of the world and the light of their lives. The third area of confidence that he gives in this interaction with leaders is confidence in his mercy. Many people have the idea that God is mean, that he's got this proverbial club that he picks up and that his his main focus in life is to wait for someone to mess up so he can thump them. Well, listen to this. Listen to what God is really like. Jesus said to them, you judge according to the flesh. That is, you you judge according to human appearances, human biases, human assumptions, uh, out of really what you want. You interpret things the way you want. You, You judge according to the flesh. But Jesus said, I judge no one. Because you see, Jesus did not come to condemn anyone, but he came that they might have life that he might reveal to us the source of life, that he's offering us more than a bone. He's offering us life, forgiveness, reconciliation, a relationship with God. He's not offering us the club. He's offering us mercy. Yet even if I do judge, Jesus says, my, my judgment's true, for it's not I alone who judge, but I am the Father who sent me. And so in Deuteronomy, the requirement was for two witnesses, and so Jesus is giving them the two witnesses. I and my Father qualify as witnesses. Uh, You uh, are the main representatives of the temple of Judaism, which we created, and that is what we are testifying to you. We are testifying to you as the source of the faith-based system that you claim to have. We are 
he, I am claiming for you to be the source, and my judgment and the Father and I agree we are the witnesses to you. Another area of confidence is being confident in our Heavenly Father. Jesus was confident in the Father. He said, in your law, it's written that the testimony of two people is true. That's Deuteronomy 17, verse 6. You can look it up. And he said, I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness with me. And so there are your two witnesses. There is the complete testimony. What's left to be decided? I guess in the court of their own minds, they have to decide whether they're willing to set aside their biases and their assumptions and to accept Jesus for who he really is, the Son of God. And they said to him, therefore, where is your father? And you can just tell that they're thinking fleshly. They're thinking, okay, where's your father, Joseph? They're still thinking biologically, paternity. And Jesus answered, uh, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. And so Jesus makes it the package deal. If you reject the son, you are rejecting the father. If you accept the son, you are accepting the father's offer. And so another area of confidence presented here that you can have is confidence in God's sovereignty because this whole mission was worked out in the plan of God. Sovereignty means that God is in control, that he's working things out to accomplish his goals and his ends. And we read this when it says that he spoke these words in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. And so John, the writer of this gospel, is letting you know that everything is working out in the plan. Do you ever wonder in your life if things are working out in a plan? That somehow God is working behind the scenes of your life? Yeah, you've thrown up a prayer or two, but have you been looking for the signals that he might giving you that he's redirecting you, that he's closing a door, that he's opening a door, that he sent someone to you, that, that paperwork came to you, that that's exactly what you needed. That as a student, I saw so many students when I was teaching at college that would open, go to their mailbox and open up the mailbox and there was an envelope and there was no return address and they'd open it up and there was money in it. Can you imagine that? That God had moved in someone's mind to send a student money for tuition. And more than once, I heard a student say, how did they know how much I needed? It was the exact amount to pay my tuition for this month. It's no coincidence that he talks about the treasury here. The treasury in the temple was the court of the women, and the court had a beautiful colonnade that went around the entire circumference of it. And under the colonnade is where the people would come up the steps into the temple and then into this uh, wide open area with the coverings on the side, and there were the offering boxes. Well, they weren't really, really offering boxes, boxes because they, they were shaped more like trumpets that came up and fanned out. And they were, they were all around that colonnade. And that's where the people would come. And the first six boxes, uh, uh, 
were dedicated toward giving to the temple, you know, covering the expenses, the upkeep, keeping the structure nice, looking good, and all that stuff. But then the others were non-designated. Those were free will donations. And so it covered all the donations there in the temple. How ironic that Jesus, as the gift of God, is speaking in the very place where people came and gave their gifts to God, and yet the leaders were rejecting the gift of God in their presence. Have you been holding out on Jesus? You know, you've, you've heard about Jesus. Everybody heard about Jesus. But are you holding out? Are, are you like these religious people who have said, we're in control here, we like what we've got, Jesus, you're upsetting things, you're competition, the people are following you, yes, we're feeling a little bit jealous inside, Jesus, we want you to just calm down and maybe get peripheral, don't be the main thing here. And really, that's what they're doing. They are asking Jesus to be just over there, not, not here, but this is his temple, He was the light that provided the light for the Israelites back then with the cloud, with the pillar of fire. He had provided it then, and now he's come to be their light so that they can see clearly. And they're resisting. They're moving him out, putting him in the margins. And here at this location is where they lit the four great lights at the celebration of lights at night. And they would light those great torches, which were huge pans filled uh, with some kind of um, oil or gas, something like that. And they would light these. And Josephus says that when they lit them at night, it lit this whole temple area plus some. It was, it was just an awe awe-inspiring thing to behold. And it's at this time that Jesus announces his mission. I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness. But you can have the light of life. And so he states his mission, and he gives us reasons to be confident in it, And you can be confident today. You can trust him. Yes, you can follow confidently. But will you trust him completely? Will you take the next step? Will you actually say, I'm going to step into actually with my decision-making, my will, my emotions, my whole being, am I willing to believe and trust him, to actively trust him? And that is where he gives us himself to be trusted completely. How interesting that the basis of our trust is the sacrifice of his life. How much did he love you? He loved you so much that he was willing to go to a cross for you. I I realize you didn't ask him to. That's called preemptive love. He chose to go there before you would ever ask Because the mission required that he achieve and accomplish the goal. Let's talk about that. So trust him completely. Why? Because 
First of all, it's an issue of destiny. He kind of cuts to the chase. What's the end game, folk? Where are you going to end up? You're going to live some decades here on this spinning mud heap, and then your body's going to cease. Where's your soul going? It's either going to be heaven or justice. Let's clarify what justice is. So he said to them again, you see, he's just, he's a good communicator. So he's just coming back. He's good at answering questions. He knows how to lead them in directions to where they can think and connect the dots if they want to. And he said to them, I am going away. Oh, this must have sounded so sweet to them. How far? (laughs) He says, I'm going away and you'll seek me and you will die in your sins. Because, you see, they sought him constantly. They had people watching him. They had people following him. Jesus was attracting crowds all over the Middle East. And these crowds were showing up, and people were were experiencing healings. They were experiencing miracles. They were seeing the power of God. They, they They were amazed. I mean, this isn't just some guy out there who's a good speaker and with charisma. This is someone with the power of God backing up their words. Miracles, many of them. And so they were were following, they were seeking. You see, you can be a spectator, just kind of watching Jesus from a distance. I did it for years. I actually went to church as a youth. I didn't go to church for Jesus. Sorry. I went to church for relationships. My friends went to church, so... That's the reason why I went to church. I was a spectator in Jesus' house, you could say. But I wasn't saved. I was a person who was there to be around other people that I liked. I didn't even, honestly, I didn't even really think about Jesus. I I didn't, I, I don't know if you would have asked me, do you like Jesus? I might have said yes, just out of embarrassment. But really, it wasn't because I was there for him. I was there for me. I was like them. Oh, yeah. I followed him. I, I listened. I, I was curious a few bit. And, but yet, I wasn't forgiven. I didn't know Jesus as my Savior. Wow. He said, where I'm going, you cannot come. And so that brought on this thought. The Jews said, will he kill himself? And in Judaism, you see, that's the one sin. That sin. That's going to get you to hell quicker than anything in their belief system. And so the Jewish leaders were going, oh, well, he he takes care of the whole problem for us. He's going to kill himself maybe and get himself out of the way. And, of course, we're not going there because we are godly people. We're going to heaven. And so you could see where their, their thinking was twisted so that they were thinking wrong about Jesus. And so then he takes them to the issue of why. The problem answers the why question. Why do you need Jesus? And he answers, it's either going to be from below or above. And so he said to them, you are from below. You're earthly. You're worldly. Like he said earlier to them, you're fleshly. Your mind's on human things and this sort of thing. And he said, I'm from above. We're from different worlds. 
you are of this world, I am not of this world. He is holy, and they are human. And I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless, and here's, here's the beautiful option, here's the choice, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And the he in the English translation is added there. The Greek is literally, unless you believe that I am, ego emi, which is the translation of the Old Testament concept of God the Messiah in the Old Testament who revealed himself to Israel back there at the Exodus and said, I am the self-existent one. And so Jesus is saying to them, who do you think I am? Unless you put your faith in me, you opt out of forgiveness. You opt out of mercy. You're going to get justice. You will die in your sins. And so the question is, who is Jesus to you? They're asking that question about Jesus. So they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, uh, just what I've been telling you all along from the beginning. He's been transparent. He's given them opportunity to believe, to change their mind. He's given them information so that they could change their thinking and connect the dots. But they're not getting it. I wonder if they wanted to get it. Sometimes, in our human relationships, we understand this dynamic, don't we? Ladies, have you ever had a conversation with your husband, and you found out that when you asked him the question at the end, he said, what? And you said, were you listening to me? Have you ever had your spouse say to you, honey... You have selective hearing. Yeah. It's a human dynamic. Communication is hard. When you have biases and assumptions and you don't want to think differently, it's hard for you to think outside the box. It's hard to listen. And these religious leaders are having a hard time listening. He's been telling them. And so what will be the consequence of the decision? The verdict is the outcome. And he says, I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. And so Jesus is saying, I have judgment to start with you, but this message is really for everybody. You either get grace and mercy or you can be held accountable for all your faults, failures, and sins and you'll get justice. Those are the options. They did not understand that he was speaking to them about the father. They were still stuck on Joseph, his, his biological. Or excuse me, his, uh, no, he wasn't born, uh, yeah, I said that wrong. He was his father, but not in the biological sense. Thank you. And so the response is the question today. What will you do? 
what will they do? Will they believe or will they resist? Will they reject? So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, and that's a statement about him being crucified, then you will know that I am he. Once again, how ironic that the gift of God, they are going to end up using the Roman government's means to achieve the death of Jesus. But he says that when that happens, you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father has taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. For I have always, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. You see, his motives, Jesus' motives, were to serve the Father's plan. And he was executing that plan. That's why he went up on the hills to pray. That's why Jesus sought God and listened to God. And that's why he did what he did is because the Father was guiding him through this whole process and serving you and I, creating the path of salvation. Yes, giving us clarity so that we could connect personally with God and have a relationship with him. Guess what happened? Now, some of the religious leaders did believe in Jesus, but a lot of the people, the populace, they actually did believe in Jesus. Because it says in verse 30, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Wow. There was a guy who was on the ruling council of this religious team. He went to Jesus by night, and you can imagine why he went as a leader of the Jewish nation by night, because uh, he was trying to keep this just between him and Jesus. He wanted to go see Jesus, and he went and saw Jesus, and Jesus talked to him about spiritual reality, about how if I talk to you about heavenly things, how are you going to understand? And he kept seeking, and and this guy, this Nicodemus guy, man, he was, he was something. He was seeking God. He wanted to know the answers. He wasn't going to let the biases, assumptions, and, and the fear of being out of control and losing his job or something keep him from seeking Jesus. And he sought Jesus that night. And he went away. And you know what? <laughs> Later in the Gospel of John, after Jesus has been crucified, a guy by the name of Joseph is actually given the body of Jesus to bury. And guess who helps him bury Jesus? Nicodemus. Nick showed up to honor his Savior at burial. Are you a receiver or a resistor? Are you a spectator to Jesus? Or do you want to trust him? If he's speaking to you today, he's told you what his mission is. You've seen what his method is. He gave himself so that you could trust not in a sales job, but that you could trust in the son of the living God who gave himself for you to pay the price at the cross for your sins, to rise from the dead so that you could know you would have eternal life with 
too, and that you would be with him forever. And just like the Jews knew that they were being guided by the cloud by day and the fire by night, you can know that Jesus Christ will connect you to God and you can begin the experience, the wonderful experience, the adventure, the greatest adventure there is of following Jesus Christ confidently and completely by faith. Completely by faith. Would you like to do that? Let's pray. Jesus, thanks for being a good communicator. Thank you for explaining it, what your mission is, so that we could be confident. And explaining what your method is, so that we would understand that we're not trusting a program, we're trusting the Savior of the world, the light of the world. Thank you for the clarity. I'm just wondering if there's those here who want to receive Jesus as their Savior, to trust him, to decide today, I don't want to be a spectator anymore. I don't want to be distant. I want to connect with Jesus and trust in his being lifted up on that cross so that I could be forgiven and all my sins paid for by him. If you want that relationship, would you just let me pray for you by raising your hand? Just raise your hand if you want to know him. Yes? Yes. Anyone else? Yes. Do you want this relationship with Jesus right now? Thank you. And so, Heavenly Father, you have seen the hearts of those who raise their hands. You know that they want this relationship. And I just say to them, by trusting his work for you at that cross and rising from the dead, you are now saved. He has gifted you. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for our new brothers and sisters in Christ who have joined the family. We praise you for giving us clarity in Jesus' name. Amen.